0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Author Conversations, presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster, and today I'm speaking with the author of George Washington's Long Island spy ring, Bill Blyer. In 1778, two years after the British forced the Continental Army out of New York City, George Washington and his subordinates organized a secret spy network to gather intelligence, in Manhattan and Long Island. Known today as the Culper spy ring, patriots like Abraham Woodhull and Robert Townsend risked their lives to report on British military operations in the region. Vital reports clandestinely traveled from New York City across the East River to Setauket and were rowed on well boats across the Long Island Sound to the Connecticut shore. Using ciphers, codes, and invisible ink, the spy ring exposed British plans to attack French forces at Newport and a plot to counterfeit American currency. Author Bill Blyer corrects the record, examines the impact of George Washington's Long Island spy ring, and identifies Revolutionary War sites that remain today. Bill, thanks for being on.
1: Uh, thank you, Johnny, for having me.
0: In the book... You take a couple of chapters in the beginning to set up the background for the spy ring, which includes the Battle of Long Island and the occupation, which will follow throughout the rest of the book until the end. And it's into the setting the spy ring would operate. And you did a great job, Bill, in those chapters describing the battle and setting up uh, the connections to the Culper family. I know from working with you over the past, Yeah, no problem. I know from working with you over the past, I guess five years now you are a very fact oriented person but you're also very good at using those facts to show these historical figures frustrations angers fears that existed on both sides. in this case patriot and loyalist do you ever find okay. it hard when writing history to not make one person look in a better light or more of a hero or to cast a villain or do you let the history and the circumstances do that on their own and how do you find that balance
1: um I basically you know i I think it's because I come to this for, from being a journalist and you know that's what you do is you're looking for the truth for the facts and they, and they say what they say if somebody looks good or bad it's it's because of the facts so um y- you know I mean the culprits kind of sort of come out as heroes because they're helping to win the revolution you know and the British sort of you know if you're uh, don't come off well because they didn't they, they didn't handle the revolution particularly well in the way they fought it um and if you're an American, you know, you're sort of rooting for independence. But, uh, um, you know, I really don't have a problem, um, you know, with making somebody look I, – I basically I think they're lo- making themselves look good or bad, and I'm just sort of telling the story. So uh, you know, and I think that's the journalism, you know, training that's kicking in.
0: Yeah. And you did – the way you connected in the first couple of chapters, you, you kind of set up that background, especially um, with the Woodhull Cousin – um, you know, getting to know characters that are coming up—it uh, just really does well. And also the, because that Battle of Long Island, or you know, Battle of New York, whatever you choose to call it, the way that you wrote that concisely in a small amount of time, because you know it wasn't really going to be the focus of the book, that had to be kind of a challenge to do, I imagine.
1: Um, yeah, I just greatly condensed it. I mean, uh, there are there are. I think at least two books just on the battle, you know, and they get into great detail with all the regiments and who's doing what. And I, um, you know, within the the constraints of the trade paperback format and the word limits, you know, I knew I had to get in and out. And it was also, you know, people want to know about the spies; they don't, they don't want a military history of the Battle of Long Island so much. So, as you said, I'm just between that and the the British occupation that follows. You just sort of setting up the, uh, you know, the environment that the. spy ring is formed in and operates in.
0: Yeah. Now, before the creation of the spy ring that takes up the majority of the book, we have maybe the most famous spy of the Revolution who everybody learned about in school. I remember learning about him in second grade, maybe. Uh, what we didn't learn was that he was pretty bad at his job from the get-go before he yes. got into the field. Um, can you tell us a bit about why Nathan Hill maybe was not fit to be a spy?
1: Well, it's funny because um, uh, Colonel Thomas Knowlton, who was tasked by Washington right after the Battle of Long Island to form an espionage unit, because Washington was surprised uh, by you know when the British attacked uh, across from Staten Island with Brooklyn, where they attacked, and then during the attack, uh, he was totally off balance. He wasn't sure if the British were going to using this Brooklyn attack as a feint before they actually uh, made the main attack on Manhattan. And then when they uh, did attack on Brooklyn and Washington was convinced that was the attack, uh, there's five passes you know, that go up through the hills where the, where the American lines were. And Washington and his generals said, oh, they'll never go this far enough east to get through the fifth one. So they only put four cavalry officers to monitor the last pass. And that's turned out where the bulk of the British came. And they you know, they basically got behind the uh, the bulk of the Americans. It could have wiped them out if General Howe hadn't uh, called off the attack to regroup. Yeah. So it's... Um, uh, you know, it's it's just uh, interesting how it all played out.
0: Yeah, I mean, and when I was reading about Nathan Hell in your book, though, he's,
1: uh, but, yeah, yeah, he's he's not he, he was not cut out to be a spy. So, the you know, Thomas Nelson is is tasked with creating an intelligence unit, asked for volunteers, and uh, uh, nobody steps forward not because they're cowards, but because being a spy, even you know, one in the army, are not being paid is considered kind of the lowest level of human being, uh, but Hale missed the meeting because he was sick, and the next day he volunteers. Uh, his friends in the, in the regiment say, don't do it, you're the worst person to be a spy because you're a very open, guileless kind of person, and you'll never pull off a secret identity, and you're bound to expose yourself, and, and it's, it's really a suicide mission. And uh, Hale says he wants to do it because he's been in the Army for a year, has not done anything. Help the cause or even earn his pay. Uh, but then he proves his friends right because he, uh, he decides, he, you know, he's a Yale graduate and a schoolteacher, so he's you know, not poor, uh, decides to leave things that would give away this, uh, his real identity, like his silver bell buckles, and leaves them behind. But then uh, he carries his Yale diploma with him with his real name on it. Yeah. So if he says he's a poor Dutch school teacher and he's searched by the British uh, and they see a diploma from Yale with a real, with a different name, you know, he's already in trouble. Uh, he also had, uh, when he was captured, he had a lot of, uh, you know, written uh, reports on him, you know, that should clearly show British fortifications, British, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, locations. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he was, he was basically dead the minute they caught him because uh, he uh he just hadn't figured out spycraft and his personality. When, he, when he's actually trapped by Robert Rogers, who was uh, head of Rogers Rangers in the French and Indian War, uh, Rogers you know catches up to him on Long Island, sits down at his table where he's having dinner, and you know, and uh, starts chatting with him, and then pretends to be an, uh, an American spy as well. Um, and um, Hale doesn't show any skepticism. He just immediately blurts out that he's also... A spy for the continental army and then the next morning uh rogers arranges to re- meet him for breakfast with some of his rangers there as witnesses and uh, hale again spills the beans and he's immediately arrested <laughs> and that testimony plus the documents on him and his diploma uh, general Hale immediately signs the death warrant
0: i mean his friends basically said you're too good and you know too trusting to be a spy i mean
1: it's, right. Yeah, they they all predicted yeah. accurately that he could not pull this off, and, Just, and they were right.
0: Uh, poor guy. Right. So, but the final yeah. words recorded. Yeah,
1: he, 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 he becomes a martyr and a hero despite his failure, but and the failure was almost preordained.
0: Yeah, propaganda, really, in that sense. So, but you know, the final when you record, you know, are talking about his death and the final words recorded by Captain McKenzie, a British officer they seemed almost very eloquent without needing to be added to or flourished upon. And then to throw in how Cunningham behaved toward Hell, it really seemed like, you know, there's your story right there um, for Nathan Hell. It just seemed like you didn't really need to embellish upon it too much more, uh, I feel like, right. in my opinion. Well,
1: the, nobody actually recorded his, his last words, mm-hmm. and the, the famous quote, I only regret I have but one life, Uh, That's lifted right from a play by Joseph Addison called Cato, which was popular at the time. And it's unlikely that, um, you know, when he's about to be hanged, that he would start quoting from play. Uh, And the British officers that were witnesses uh, all said that, you know, he died bravely and sort of summarized what he said, but nobody wrote it down. And that actual quote doesn't show up. It's not put in his mouth until like about 1830. But there's a lot of there's a lot of unknowns. Uh, we, we don't know exactly who was caught. We don't know if he was heading west for Brooklyn or back to Huntington to get back on the boat that brought him over. Uh, we don't know exactly where he was hanged. We don't know exactly where he was buried. Uh, just you know, a lot of a lot of uh, still un, unknown information.
0: Absolutely. And after his death, Washington, General Washington, he doesn't just throw away the idea of espionage. He thinks, how can we improve on using spies, and how would Benjamin Talmage come into this picture?
1: Well, what happens is um this first attempt when Nathan Hale is a failure, and then what happens is uh Knowlton and his unit get in, uh, uh tied up in fighting in northern Manhattan and uh Knowlton has killed that and most of the regiment uh or whatever uh, unit it was um, but most of them are killed or captured so uh, Washington has to come up with another attempt uh, and he does uh, something that we don't know why he picked the person he picks, but he picks a businessman named Nathaniel Sackett to form a spy uh, unit and uh, we don't know what credentials Sackett apparently had to do it, we just know he did a bad job and Washington fires him, him after two months. But what he does, which is brilliant, a good choice, is he picks Benjamin Talmage, who's a native of Setauket on the north North shore of Long Island, to be the liaison between Sackett and and headquarters. And uh, uh, Talmadge is a a Yale graduate, actually a classmate of Nathan Hale, uh, distinguished himself in a Connecticut cavalry unit because he flees Long Island like most of the Patriots after the Battle of Long Island. uh, Although in his case, he was already in the war. He fought in the Battle of Long Island. But uh, as the war is brewing, uh, all the Patriots, most of the Patriots, he fled to Connecticut either before or after the beginning of fighting in the New York area. And uh, he fires Sackett after two months because he's not effective. But um, Talmadge is very good. He's, I mean, they're all amateur spies, and but Talmadge is a quick learner, and he uh, elevates in several steps over the course uh He elevates their uh, spy craft. The... Um, so Sackett's fired then um uh, Washington appoints uh general General Charles Scott to be his uh new spy chief. Scott's a bad choice he's an infantry uh brigade uh commander from Virginia, but his troops are fighting north of the city and, and Scott shows very little interest in spy craft uh but he keeps uh, Washington keeps Talmadge as his liaison or number two mm. and uh, eventually um uh, Uh, Talmadge and Scott disagree on how to do spying, Washington gets frustrated, basically, uh, Scott gets the message and retires from the Army, at which point, when Talmadge is still only 24, Washington appoints him as Director of Military Intelligence. Uh, And that's when the spy ring really gets up and running.
0: Yeah, and Talmadge is the one who begins recruiting, um, such as Caleb Brewster. And Caleb is in a unique position at the beginning um, of the spy ring, it seems like. With his well boats to get information. Um, it just, you know, so much more information. I and mean, I, we, we know that, you know, obviously AMC had that show turn, and you talk about AMC having the show turn, but Caleb Brewster, um, just, it, it is, there, there seems to be so much more to this historical character than the character you see on AMC. Um, yeah, in the TV you know, show.
1: Turn, turn as I say in the book and in my lectures, is, turn is terrible history. It might be good TV, but They sort of mangle the history pretty badly, but Brewster is is a fascinating character, and he actually uh, he's really the one. uh, You know, Talmadge is in place, but um, and and you know, and they send a uh, uh, a Major John Clark across uh, from Connecticut to spy on Long Island after Hale when Scott's in charge, and he goes to Long Island, does everything right, uh, stays there for nine months, and gets a lot of information, doesn't raise any suspicion, but. Washington decides that Clark, who's from Philadelphia, needs to be uh, spying in and around Philadelphia. So then they get into a vacuum where they have nothing going on. And then Caleb Brewster, who's in the Continental Army, but he's sort of a lieutenant on detached duty because he's he's a whale boat captain, uh, unsolicited writes a letter to Washington saying, I'm on Long Island a lot and I'm out on the Sound. Uh, I can give you information if you want it. Washington is thrilled. Uh, So Brewster actually writes the first—he's the first— uh, you know, spy essentially for the spy ring. But right after that, um, you, know, and it, you know, this is a whole group of friends and relatives. So yeah. Talmadge, Brewster, Abraham Woodhull, they all grew up together. Uh, so after Brewster starts it off, then Talmadge recruits uh, Abraham Woodhull, who's a, a friend, a neighborhood farmer um, in Setauket. And then he becomes the chief spy for the whole duration. And then it's Woodhull who brings in Robert Townsend in the city, to start sending information out when it becomes too dangerous for woodhull to keep going back and forth yeah into the city. So
0: and, and woodhull he said he's had a cousin killed already too, yeah. so he has that yeah. connection um, yeah
1: his his older cousin nathaniel woodhull is actually a general in the continental uh you know continental militia on long island and uh, as the battle of long island is brewing washington assigns him to round up all the cattle and sheep on long island and move it east to keep it away from the British as they're coming on, you know, into Brooklyn. Um, He does a pretty good job, but his men are deserting and, uh, you know, overwhelmed. Um, And uh, Woodhull ends up staying in a tavern near Jamaica. Uh, The British cavalry, which is out in advance of the the army, uh, learns where he is, surrounds the tavern, and ends up fatally wounding him. Uh, And uh, he's put on a prison hulk and then they finally put him in a hospital in brooklyn and they realize he's in bad shape but he dies there but he becomes like the first you know major martyr uh, in the new york area for the patriots in the revolution and uh abraham woodhull you know, knows the story and a lot of people think his motivation for being the spy is because he wants to avenge his uncle uh, his cousin
0: yeah and bill you know i really like too that you i mean if you're going to tell the story of nathaniel woodhull you have to mention what he's doing but the fact that 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 is in the book of, you know, he's trying to get that livestock moved in front of the British before those lines get there and capture that livestock is important because not only when you're evacuating, when you're trying to do an organized retreat or you're trying to get the men out, but you also got to think about once you get the men out, how are you going to feed this army? And, you know, exactly. people don't really think about that a lot, so I, I just thought that was really neat and cool that that part of the history was included in the book, too, um, from a history nerd standpoint, of course. I know some people don't think about that kind of thing, but I do, and I thought it was nice nice uh, touch that that was in the book. Um, yeah,
1: well, Washington was, uh, you know, he, he basically learned he learned a lot, you know, including the value of military intelligence and what can happen without it when he was almost killed in the French and Indian War uh, because the British just march out in their red coats out into the wilderness, and the French and Indians almost wipe them out um but you know he i mean he was a pretty quick learner and and um you know when you read you know how this all comes together i mean you it I gave, gave me a much better appreciation for washington mm, absolutely
0: now, if you were a member of the ring, say Abraham Woodhull. And then it's going to be a little bit different, maybe, for Townsend because he's going back and forth more. And you're traveling into the city, into New York City, um, and you had to endure questioning by British Sentry. What would that experience be like?
1: Uh, It had to be pretty scary. Um, I mean, they they were careful as they could be, you know, and later they're using secret code letters and then secret ink, invisible ink. But uh, Woodhull seemed to be very unlucky. He was also very nervous. You can tell from his letters he's like very Mm. paranoid about. Uh, security and being apprehended, and a lot of times he you know he talks about like chucking it all and running off to height you know to Connecticut to get out from behind the british lines uh, but he seems to get questioned a lot and roughed up a lot and searched a lot at one point uh, this group of uh, Tory uh, sort of you know irregulars or brigands uh, stop him and they actually strip strip search him and go through his horse. Uh, and he's got a letter secreted inside inside the stitching of his saddle, which they don't find, uh, and he has $1 on it, and they feel like uh, after abusing him that it wasn't even worth taking the dollar because mm-hmm. you know, it was like uh, if this guy, well, all he has to his name is $1, we're not going to take his last dollar. But you know, he's constantly uh, getting harassed by the British sentries by the East River and, and these patrols and these uh, loyalist bands of thieves. Uh, which is why he, he finally convinces Talmadge in Washington that needs to be somebody embedded in the city, uh, sending out information rather than traveling back and forth.
0: Yeah, and this information that's sent back—it's you know troop movements, you know what, what the British you know, were up to, and things. And Washington, you know, as you mentioned in the book, I mean, it's not like today where we have the technology to kind of get information back um, a little bit quicker. It took a little bit of time to get information to General Washington. Yeah.
1: And as far as Washington was concerned, it took way too much time. Yeah. In the beginning, it, would t- it could take up to three weeks to get a message from New York, uh, 55 miles east on Long Island, and across Long Island Sound, and then along the Connecticut coast to Washington's headquarters, north or west of the city. Uh, and he complains in his letters throughout the rest of the, you know, throughout the war, saying there's got to be a quicker way to do this. And they try several attempts. Uh, for shorter routes, but they can never get the right people in the right place to make it work. So we sort of stuck with the circuit circle.
0: Yeah, and they had different couriers too uh, that you mentioned in the book too that will um, deliver these messages. And I do yeah, want to there add... were at, least, oh, sorry, uh, at
1: least three or four that we know of. Uh, and Woodhull, even after Townsend was in the city, and there were couriers, Woodhull occasionally would still go in, uh, but he tried not to because you know he, he said, "I've become infamous." You know, all these centuries and, uh, you know, and fees and everything. Well, they all keep seeing me, and they know who I am, and every time uh, I encounter them, I get r- rougher and rougher treatment.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, and there's one big thing that the, I feel that the spy ring, you know, did that has to do with Washington that I don't want to give away. I want people to read the book, obviously, okay. uh, for that. Um, we've barely scratched the surface on it. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Anna Strong, because you do, you do talk about her in the book, and... That's going to kind of tie into my next thing um, because we barely scratched the surface really because there's so much more in the book. You have um, examples of the um, letter writing, the different ciphers, how the ciphers have evolved kind of over time and the book really interesting stuff. But you also have a section of the book with physical locations that we can go to and visit today. And even though you talk about Anna Strong, earlier in the book and the whole you know, legend that surrounds her putting you know a, a petticoat up that might be black and different um, handkerchiefs up saying where to go for Caleb to go to, or for Abraham to go meet Caleb in a different cove um, based on the number of handkerchiefs, how that may be a legend, maybe be true. There's no way to certainly prove it, but based on where right. that was, um, Caleb couldn't see that from across the bay, um, and you know that because you've actually you can actually go to that place and see it. Um, yeah, well, and, that's uh, a, yeah uh,
1: and I was just going to yeah, say I, that's I, I, a- some, and some of the some of the other authors clearly didn't. One one who I picked to task is uh, he has uh, Talmage in Connecticut looking with a spyglass across Long Island Sound and across the bay uh, to see the petticoat. So he not only buys the story of the pe- of the Petticoat and handkerchiefs. Uh, he's saying that that Talmadge could have seen this. Not 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 Caleb Brewster, but oh, Talmadge, yeah. Talmadge could see it, uh, which ignores the curvature of the Earth. Ignores a big uh, barrier island like with sand dunes. Ignores about a mile of of, of hilly trees before you actually could, you know get to Anna Strong's plant uh, you know plantation home. Uh, it's physically impossible, uh, even from the southern shore of Long Island, to see. That's that, uh, that closed line, let alone all the way across Long Island Sound. So uh, and I've actually this, this author communicated with me after after the book and, uh, you know, thank me for my analysis of his analysis. But he said he actually went to it. So I'm saying to myself, um, well, if you were there, you would know, you know this <laughs> big peninsula full of trees and you can't see Long Island Sound from the house. And you can't see the house from Long Island Sound, but... Uh, well, was Penicill you know, of, the Penicill Trees there then? Authors...
0: Like, was was that how it would have been historic? Or I'm trying to yeah, picture... It, it, yeah, okay. it's always been that
1: way. All right. You know, and that area is still is still pretty unchanged. But, uh, yeah, I mean, some of the stuff I found in previous authors was just, like, stunning. I mean, it's just wild speculation. That makes no sense when you analyze it.
0: Well, see, Bill, that's why it's so cool, because the, la- the last part of the book is places you can go to where these events happen. And reading, learning about history is one thing, but going to a site where historical events actually took place really brings the history home. And right. that's also that you included all these places in the book. So
1: Yeah, well the I mean that was always my intention to do sort of a hybrid half story of the of the spiring and half tour guide for all these revolutionary war sites uh, from the spiring or just other things with a direct connection to the war. Um, so I was just going to tell the story, you know, my version of the story, I mean, every author has done that. And then when I saw all these conflicting
0: versions
1: and stuff that you know seemed like wild speculation, I decided to do an analytical history, as I call it, where I go through all the different versions and then try to pick through it and say, this is impossible, or this makes sense, or this, you know, who knows. Um, and, then, you know, so that, that part's unique, because no other author has actually, you know, looked at all the different versions before like that. Yeah, I
0: like that. And also, like... I like that you're actually not afraid to be like, I'm not sure, but this is what we have. You know, like you said, make up your own mind about it. I think you said that in the introduction. Right. Um, Bill, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for being on.
1: Well, thank you, Johnny, and thanks to the History Press. because uh, They've done a really nice job with five of my books, and I have uh, two more in the works. So. Awesome. It's a great, great operation to work with.
0: George Washington's Long Island Spy Ring is available now wherever local books are sold and online at ArcadiaPublishing.com. As always, I want to thank Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the show's theme song. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and I will talk with you again soon.